We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group, What Are You Thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. Last week's title was How We Develop Love, which was already pretty uncatchy. And then I said this week, okay, uh, here's what we're going to do this week, how we can develop more love. <laughs> That's when you know this guy needs to go on a vacation. <laughs> so <clears throat> we're going to talk today uh, about continuing this uh, process we've been in. Uh, hold on, we, uh, I skipped a slide. There we go. All right. This uh, Advent, our focus as a community together is on practicing intentional kindness. Uh, we are thinking together about um, this spiritual focus, developing our capacity for kindness, strengthening our ability in kindness. So we're going to continue developing that idea today from another vantage point. But first, here are the questions that we'll be talking about afterwards. Today's questions are very simple. Uh, tell about one or two or three times that you experienced a kindness. Now, give some texture to the experience when you're talking about it uh, at your tables. Of course, tell what happened, but also tell what it was like to be on the receiving end. What was it like to be you when you received that kindness? What did it uh, mean to you? What did it feel like? Talk about some of the texture of having been the recipient of a kindness. And that's to prime the pump, because what we really want to be thinking about this Advent is what could you do this week? What could you do this Advent season uh, to be intentionally kind? By having these conversations together, we can prime the prompt for one another. We can give one another creative ideas. So be thinking about examples of what I'm talking about as we go through the lesson. So we saw last week that this very simple practice, intentionally practicing kindness, uh, making a plan in advance, setting a reminder, then following through on that plan, it does a whole lot more inside of us than simply create kindness. Uh, we do this simple practice, and before long, we find ourselves developing a whole constellation of these words, these traits, these experience, words that capture the deepest longings of the human heart we said last week. It's why our tradition comes back year after year after year to those four Advent words that Heather mentioned, hope and love and joy and peace. It's why the Buddhist tradition comes back again and again to the four immeasurables, kindness, compassion, appreciation, and equanimity. Practicing intentional kindness, we end up also cultivating, we end up also emerging into all of these deep traits. Traits that feed the deepest longings of the human heart. Now I put up that last word last week because it speaks to the condition that emerges, eudaimonia, it speaks to a deep kind of human well-being. 
I said last time that the breadth of that deep longing in of our hearts gets impoverished in English because we use just the one word love and uh, it's a construct that is too full and too robust, too multifaceted to be contained in one word. So we visited the Greeks. We took a 50 words for snow approach to the word love. If you missed, you can have a listen online. But the bottom line is simply this. We start with a very small first step. We start with a very doable, a very accessible practice. We engage intentional kindness. And if we do that, a whole lot more emerges than simply the kindness. This whole cascade of experience ensues. We kick off a whole chain of growth and development with that very doable first step. We expand our capacity for, we cultivate our heart for, kindness. And again, as I said last time, we do that by making a plan in advance. I'm going to do this kindness at this time in this place. We set a reminder so that we actually do the thing when the time comes. We remind ourselves to offer to babysit for that single parent. I will appreciate that underappreciated person. I will attend this friend's event. I will mail that thank you note. I will send this person that encouraging text. I will give that knucklehead some grace and some mercy, maybe even a kind word. We make the decision in advance. We make the plan in advance to practice at a very specific time with a very specific person and set the reminder so that when the moment comes, we actually do the kindness and we start simply. We start simply by starting that process with the people near to us, the people we love, the people who are easy, That's not a bad idea for the first part of Advent. But then we extend that intention and we begin to practice intentional kindness with a person who is neutral to us, a stranger or a co-worker. Then to an irritating person. And then someday, maybe, even as Jesus taught us, an an enemy. So that's our Advent focus this year. I hope you are thinking about it. I hope you're talking with one another about it, about the how and the when and the with whom, because when we do that, we create, as we saw last week, the preconditions for one of the Greeks' words for that deep kind of love. We looked last week at pragma. Today we're going to look at how when we practice intentional kindness, we also create the preconditions for inner peace. We're going to look at inner peace today. Let's talk about that. And let's start with this. We sometimes overlook how our inner peace is profoundly impacted by our outer peace. Now here's what I don't mean by outer peace. I don't mean, hey, everything's going well in my world. That is not what I'm talking about when I talk about outer peace. Because we saw last week that eudaimonia often includes troubles and trials and difficulties, even pain. There is goodness to be found even in the difficult spaces in life. So no, by outer peace we are not talking about all the conditions of our outer world going the way we would like them to. What I mean by outer peace is being at peace with others. Because it turns out that being at peace with others 
is a kind of important component of being at peace within ourselves. We create the conditions for interior peace when we develop our ability to regard others with the same desire for well-being that we desire for ourselves, that we desire for those we love. Now, anybody who is alive right now knows that regard for the well-being of others, it's a lot harder to do in an environment where we are constantly preached at the message of division. Where we live in a media context that is bent on manufacturing outrage. For anybody paying attention right now, most of the time, the path of least resistance is dividing from and disregarding. It is just so much easier to do that. It is a constant drumbeat in our daily worlds. But that being so, that it's the path of least resistance, that being so, that it's so much easier, does not change this fundamental reality. Our own interior peace depends on our ability to foster outer peace. Depends, our own inner peace depends on our ability to regard others with the same desire for well-being that we desire for ourselves. So, without developing that aspect of outer peace, I'm not sure it's even possible to develop inner peace. The regard for and the prioritizing of the well-being of others, even the hard-to-be-around others, turns out critical for our own inner freedom. Because, yeah, being at peace with others is that. It is freedom. It is freedom from animosity. Because here's what animosity will do. It will just keep chewing us up inside. It is freedom from envy. It is freedom from jealousy. It is freedom from resentment. It is freedom from bitterness. Because like animosity, those will just chew us up on the inside. It is freedom from our own evolutionary instincts. In times of anxiety, it is just instinctive to circle the wagons and to bond with our people, with our group, to collectively divide ourselves from their people, from their group. But regard for others, having the same desire for well-being for others that we have for ourselves, it is freedom. It is an interior peace kind of freedom. You might recall the loving kindness meditation that we do from time to time. We borrowed it from the Buddhist tradition. It's a prayer that we pray of concern for others. I pray compassion and kindness over them. I pray grace and mercy over them. I pray safety and protection and deep well-being. And may they live this day in peace and joy and inner calm. So when we're doing this guided meditation, we start that prayer first where it's easy. We start with someone we love, someone who is easy for us to love. That helps us access the place inside of us, the interior architecture inside of us that is there where we have the capacity to love and to kindness. We start with the easy people, the loved people, our beloved. And then having 
accessed that capacity inside of ourselves so we know where it is, we know what it feels like, we then pray that same prayer while we are imagining someone who is neutral to us. We develop our love and kindness for a neutral person. We find that same interior space where we can do it and then we find that capacity for love and kindness to those who are dear to us, we extend it to those neutral to us. And then we do it again this time with an irritating person, and eventually with a hurtful person. Well, that same process of expanding circles of development informs the practice of intentional kindness. We practice outer peacemaking where it's easy. We start by developing regard for the easy people, then we move to neutral people, then irritating people, then hurtful people. Now, as we saw last week, this is a complex process and it's filled with a whole bunch of uh, intricacies and lots of unconscious internal work going on. But here's the thing that we've been seeing in this lesson. The wisdom of those gone before us say, yes, there is complexity, but all that complexity doesn't really matter. Yeah, there are lots of ins and outs, but all that stuff doesn't really matter because it turns out that if you will take on this very simple practice that we're focusing on during Advent, cultivating kindness, intentional, plan ahead, set a reminder kind of kindness, turns out if you would do that, it will help us make peace with others, even difficult ones, because it turns out when you are practicing kindness, it's very difficult to hold on to the tension and animosity towards someone. The go-to response of our brains, just living daily life, but especially living daily life in divided times like ours. The go-to brain response, absent the practice of intentional kindness, our brains go to retaliation. It's just where they go. You don't decide that doesn't make you a bad person, it's just the way our brains function. Even if we don't act on it, the interior wiring is taking us in divided times to the retaliation response. Absent the practice of intentional kindness, our brains go to retaliation, but go to a whole set of instincts. Yes, retaliation, or withdrawal, or silent punishing, or overt punishing, or internal grinding, or the physiological reactions like blood pressure going up, or anxiety response, or stress chemicals. But this simple practice, intentional kindness, has the capacity to restore inside of us an interior equilibrium, an interior place of peace. In one of Jesus' more well-known stories, he tells of a man who was forgiven a huge unpaybackable debt. But upon being forgiven this great debt, he doesn't pay it forward. He ends up sending some guy to debtor's prison for owing him a comparably insignificant debt. And Jesus makes the point. If you can't have mercy on, if you can't be at peace with someone who owes you or someone who has hurt you or someone, even someone who has harmed you, you are at odds with the deepest part of yourself. You are at odds with the divine center part of you. And that is going to put you in prison. That's going to lock you in. It's going to keep you from freedom. Now, we behave badly. You do too. <laughs> now, we don't usually behave that kind of badly, 
the kind of badly that we see in someone else and that our attention goes to and our focus goes to because that kind of badly is usually not our own life experience because we wouldn't be focused on it if it was our own life experience. We would just be going, oh yeah. But when we focus on it, that means that's not my personality type. That's not my version of the false self-ego response. So consequently, it's easy to fall into a default setting of putting ourselves into a different category from the people around us who behave badly because I would never do that. I would never think that way. I would never act that way and probably not. But that's not to say that there isn't some other foible for which we must be granted mercy because I promise you there is. And when we fail to see that, we fail to live in that, what Jesus tells us is that we end up imprisoning ourselves in a not inner peace kind of prison. Because again, as I said a moment ago, there's a lot of complexity that goes on into this. A lot of interior and exterior complexity. But again, okay, our tradition tells us we can work that stuff out when we find our way to interior peace. And if we can get there, we can do that by this very simple practice. Plan ahead. Set a reminder. Do the kind thing and expand those circles outwardly. Now, as soon as I start talking about this kind of thing, uh, I know we all feel immediately an objection, which is, whoa, 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 Doug, if I practice mercy, if I extend kindness to that hurtful person, I'll tell you what that's not, Doug. That is not fair. That is not just. Because if I grant mercy there's a very good chance that that person is not going to repent. That person is not going to acknowledge the harm that they've done. There's a very good chance that person is not going to change their behaviors. And so what I end up doing with my kindness is just conditioning them to keep doing what they're doing and facilitating more hurt and more injustice. And yes, and also, yes, we do have to stand for justice, yes. We do have to precipitate change, yes. And we do have to be at peace with people who behave badly. That's complex. There is complexity in this. We will talk about that dynamic again. We have talked about it before, how we draw the line between uh, justice and mercy. But again, complexity is okay because we can get to a good outcome, our tradition insists, by starting simply, practice intentional kindness. <clears throat> Again, it's very difficult to hold on to this manufactured outrage in our society when we practice intentional kindness. It's very difficult to hold on to those evolutionary reactions that just kick off in our brains, retaliation or withdrawal or disrespect, the internal grinding. It's very difficult to hold on to those instinctive reactions when we practice intentional kindness. You might remember in 2006, a gunman uh, took some Amish children hostage in their school and shot 10 of them and killed five, and then he committed suicide. A big focus of the news coverage back in those days was the response of the family of the killed children. 
these Amish families immediately visited the killer's family. And they brought food. And they sat together. And they wept, wept together and comforted one another. They went immediately to extend kindness. They went immediately to extend mercy. They realized that the family of the killer needed kindness and mercy and compassion because they had to live with what their son had done. The family of the killer, the Amish knew, they too had lost their child. And their tradition had taught them that doing this, going toward practicing kindness, creates external peace by practicing what had to be intentional, kindness. It is a pathway to internal peace as well. Now at the time, the world was looking on and the world was duly impressed. If you will remember the news coverage at the time, people were very impressed with this response. Uh, looking in from the outside, people realized that they were seeing something deeply human, something deeply true, and a lot of the press that came out in those days focused on what they had just seen, having been witness to this act of kindness, this act of mercy, this act of grace, an ex act of external peacemaking, paving the way for inner peace. But in the years since, our culture has moved further and further from that deep human capacity. Further and further from that which is deeply true and deeply human, this practice of intentional kindness. In the years since, fewer and fewer people have external peace, and consequently, it's not surprising, fewer and few, fewer people have internal peace. We've kind of mainlined a way of living that is very contrary to the wisdom of those who've gone before us, very contrary to this way of inner peace. Making peace in the years since 2006 has been replaced with a curriculum that hones our outrage to a fine point. Preaches the gospel of my interests and our interests above their interests. That preaches the idea that our group has more priority, more truth, more value than the other group, than other people, than theirs. And the principles of making peace have been replaced with a curriculum of nourishing revenge, mocking mercy. And so it's hardly surprising, given what the ancient wisdom taught us about the way this thing works, that we collectively as a society have atrophied our skills of making external peace. We've forgotten how. And of course, a whole lot of us are dealing with the interior anxiety, we have lost our inner peace. The Amish know something. Their spiritual practices, their version of working the circle, focuses on the practices of ego forgetfulness. And again, it's a complex construct, but it starts out very simply, very doably. We do a simple practice of something kind. We cultivate our own capacity for kindness by making it intentional. And then we expand the circles in which we are able to practice that. Now everything I've just said, it is not brain science in our 
tradition. It's actually pretty bedrock principle. It's pretty bedrock to everything that Jesus taught. It's pretty bedrock at any time in history when the church has not lost its way. Now, boy, have we lost our way at certain times. We've kind of lost our way in these days. But this is a bedrock principle. We can make peace externally and internally. We can be peacemakers. And a great way to start is with the spiritual discipline of intentional kindness in expanding circles. So in dwelling divine, may we be people of interior peace, yes. People of, with capacity to expand that peace to those around us, have an expanded capacity for grace, an expanded capacity for our mercy, and may we be practitioners of intentional kindness. Amen. Well, <clears throat> Uh, if you would, please prepare your offerings. We all give on our phones now, and you can go to our website, uh, commonthreadchurch.org, uh, and right at the top of the website, you will see the donate button. There's lots of options. It's easy to give. We invite you to take a ownership stake in the community if you're here in Raleigh, but also for those of you who are remote, far away. I just had a meeting this week about how we can expand our uh, connecting with those of you who are far away. Right now, we are working to occupy this new space and to meet the costs of doing it. You've been hearing me talk about that. We've been buying a whole bunch of equipment, some of it which will impact those of you that are, are far away. We've written some big checks lately, but remember what I've been saying. We never push hard for money at Common Thread. We've never had to because what we've done is we worked hard to everybody do a part. Everybody share in carrying the financial responsibilities of the community. So the per household co cost, I've said, for moving into this new space is about $150 additional to what we do per household. But again, we don't do it that way. Some can do more, some can do less. And, but when all of us do something together, we've never had to burden anybody. So, and also remember what I say all the time, there is good return when we invest in spiritual community. So again, at our website, that's where we all donate. So in a minute, we are going to dismiss the folks on the live stream and here in the room, we are going to do, uh, what are you thinking? If you're on the live stream and uh, you're here, you're not time shifting, I know a lot of you are watching this later, we hope you'll join us online on Zoom to uh, talk about what we've just talked about in the lesson, the questions that I put up on the wall, uh, the, I can't remember who's leading today, but they'll lead you through those questions. So you get the link to that on our front page and uh, of our website and then the password we're going to tell you right now is 1417-1417. You can head over there in just a minute. It's a good way to connect, a good way to build community. So as we are dismissing the folks on the live stream, let's put our hands on our hearts together and let us remember as we go that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, the fruit of the Spirit is within us because divine breath is in us. And if you would extend your other hand to our city, let's look for opportunities to share what's already in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all on the live stream. You are dismissed. Uh, we are not dismissed. We're going to... If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.